Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey guys, I am Damian Stevens, and I thank you for joining us today. We have an amazing show for you with Kyle Christensen. So Kyle is an amazing entrepreneur. Um, thanks for joining me, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, man. I, yeah, absolutely. We're in person. We're in, this is weird, right? Doing this, this is my home studio, guys. So thanks for joining me, Kyle. Um, this is the first ever in-person one. So that's not what IT people do. This might be an industry first, actually. Right. I want to come back to that. I kind of jumped ahead with that. Um, I want to introduce you more. So CEO of Kyle, uh, Kyle is the CEO of K7 Leadership, probably the CEO of Kyle too. Yeah. And that's, that's my wife's title. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, done a few interesting things, in my opinion. A um, couple things like grow an MSP from four to somewhere near 15 million in two, two and a half years. Um, have been a part of uh, Sierra Pacific where you've worked with just seemingly unnumber, uh, uncountable number of MSPs. You've coached MSPs in here from a million to close to 300 million in revenue um, and some other interesting stories. So stay tuned. We have a super exciting show today. We're going to talk about how to get your company ready for exit and what you would want to do there. So let me kind of tee up with the first question. I want to get into that, but tell me, you got kind of an interesting story, like something about Best Buy and they didn't know any better. Like, tell me how you got started. Oh, I got in trouble. Okay. To be quite honest, uh, the IT space in a weird way kind of saved my life. Um, just like any high school kid, right? You test boundaries. You, you kind of see where your limits are. Um, and I like to say I hopped the wrong train because I literally hopped the wrong train. I was at an amusement park in California, Knott's Berry Farm. And I decided it was a real good idea to show off to this girl I was out with. And uh, I jumped train car to train car. And it was a school trip. So basically, I was about to be expelled because I basically got kicked out for life on that. And my punishment, because I had decent grades, was, hey, go fix the computers at the school. Well, I fixed them really fast. I wrote a quick, this is like Windows 2000 days. So I just made a quick ISO, pushed it all out, and it fixed everything. And at that time, Geek Squad was just being acquired by Best Buy, and they were actually recruiting from high schools. Kind of serendipitous because literally right after that moment happened, I, um, they, they referred me as like, hey, this kid kind of needs a job or, you know, he's going to go down the wrong path. And Best Buy found out real quick, I wasn't even 16 years old after they had already written me a job offer. So rather than handing me the keys to a Volkswagen Beetle, they gave me a supervisor position. That makes sense. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, a 15 year old kid managing 10, 11 people. Yeah, I mean, that's way less responsibility than a Volkswagen. Oh, it, it, that's kind <laughs> of how I've seen it at this point, right? And it, it, at the time, right, like, obviously, I was just happy to have a job that wasn't minimum wage. And, you know, it, it really taught me early on how to be creative in managing people because every single person was about seven or eight years older than me. Now, right, we can say what we want, Geek Squad, Best Buy, it's all fun, right, in games because they're the butt end of a lot of jokes, but... If you really think about it, and I've thought about this as I've gotten older, back in 2004, 2005, Geek Squad was probably the largest MSP and one of the largest that has ever existed. How many other MSPs have 1,100 locations? It's a weird thing to admit, but they found a way to monetize IT for mom and dad, right? Little onesie-twosie issues. So anywho, fast forward quite some time at that point. Um... I got really good at managing numbers, managing processes because I, they were all older than me, right? So there's always that ageism, that hierarchy of I know more than you. So I got really grounded in managing through just binary processes, black and white, right? Making things fair, coaching, mentoring, but also setting expectations. That's crazy. Because to me, that was the, and right? And I'm 17 and 18, but I realized that was the only way I could hold people accountable. And Best Buy, they, even put more trust in me and they made me go store to store to store to turn around stores that were underperforming, right? It went from just the Geek Squad department to the whole store. So I got crash coursed in these processes of turning something around from, you know, people say good to great, but from unprofitable or not hitting targets to hitting targets. That seems like a big improvement. 
it's quite a it's quite a way to go when you have average 110 employees per store and then at the same time right you're you're dealing with most of the time 15 16 year old people right 17 year old people on sales floors and you're also always face to face and throughout my career right i've really started to kind of analyze a lot of this and really like what did that do for my development and i also realized that a lot of the things that us as MSPs run into when it comes to customer service or de-escalating issues, problem resolution. You learn a lot when mom and dad are face-to-face -face with you at a counter and they're saying, I got a virus and it's your fault. It's no different than these help desk tickets that we get on the phone where it's a faceless name. And I, I think back to when I was at my MSP that uh, I always used to tell my engineers that tier one, right? You're, you're the guy on the front lines. Tier two, you need to be able to fix everything. And tier three, I don't want you to have, to have the ability to fix everything. I want you to be able to go in front of a customer with the whole building on fire and say, hey, Mr. Customer, I'm handling everything. Don't worry. We are going to post mortem in a week. Trust me to get this done. And let me just, you know, continue with what we need to do. Or can you please purchase this because this is part of the problem? To me, that was always more valuable than the super nerd at times, right? Um, but it, it was that whole culmination that I think because of that retail experience, right, that I was able to kind of figure out that logic to how do I scale service delivery to where things aren't going beyond the service department, especially me as, a, as an operator. So that, that kind of created this history in myself of being a turnaround guy, which is different than most of the MSP stories you hear, right, where it's the... It's the founder or it's the, um, it's the Michael Gerber e-myth type approach, right? Where it's a practitioner that has a passion and he wants to share his craft with the world. Well, right, Michael Gerber was really talking about CPA firms and law firms and all of these real smart individuals who didn't understand how to operate a business. Um, and also at the same time, it's kind of where things started to click for me to not really care about my technical aptitude, but really care about strategy, really care about thinking six months down the road, a year down the road, some of my clients seven years down the road. Because at the end of the day, reverse engineering those problems is a lot more strategic than just throwing a dart at the wall and seeing what hits. Right. So guys, real quickly, keep the comments coming. This is a live show. If you're watching this on the replay, feel free to drop us some comments in. Um, we are having a few, I think LinkedIn's deciding to be interesting today. So if we don't see your comments, try again. Um, and uh, we want to take as many of your questions as we can. We take carrier pigeons too. That's exactly right. Right. Whatever you want to send. One, um, two, three, Damien Lane, <laughs> care of. Uh, so I want to get this. This is one I'd love to, you know, uh, we've got behind the scenes since I'm not the one uh, orchestrating <laughs> this, Jeff, today. So thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I'd love to zoom in on you here, Kyle, and kind of talk about you're not the normal founder. Don't hold that against you. But I mean, how did you get in a spot to turn around an MSP? Tell me about that first one. Oh, the first one. Uh, honestly, it, it's kind of funny because there's Jim Collins. I, I found out years later, I stole this from him. He had this concept that he took from Aerosmith called Dare to Suck. And the idea was that Aerosmith, right? They, they would get in, they were probably high off their butts, but Right. For the most part, they needed a way to cultivate their creativeness and that creative nature. What they would do to kind of tell the story is they would have this thing called a dare to suck meeting. And that dare to suck meeting really was to facilitate bad ideas because, right, sometimes we're so self-conscious about the ideas that we're going to come up with that we don't say it. Right. We keep it internal. And I actually use this practice now with my clients. And we, and we do this thing where we all write our ideas on cue cards and we throw them on the table and we just kind of sift through them. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are perfect. Some of them need a little work, right? I mean, think of Aerosmith. They had songs like Love in an Elevator, right? Like they're genuinely just funny ideas, but some of them end up being something. And I've realized real early on that I think internally, I've always had that mentality of dare to suck where I didn't really care what idea I said out loud. Now, granted, that's hurt me in my career as well because I can't keep things back, but I've never been the type of individual to not have the wherewithal or um, tenacity to keep my mouth shut because I want things to improve. I've always been a guy where I always work for the business. I don't work for the owner. And that was a really interesting thing 
when I worked for Geek Squad, because I think that developed in me, because I always love to say I worked for Geek Squad, not Best Buy, right? There was a loyalty to that culture. And when that started to develop at the first MSP that I was helping turn around, you know, it really came apparent to me that this small business needed things like process and need like, think of this, Best Buy was so confident in their processes that they gave their 15 year old kid a supervisor job, right? Like talk about efficiency, talk about confidence in how you run something, right? Where you can, let's talk about it from an economics perspective. They, they literally paid someone $12 an hour to manage 15 people. That's <laughs> a crazy ROI. Right. It is a crazy ROI. And that was where, when I started to get into the SMB space quite heavily, the lack of processes and strategy and uh, repetitiveness, you know, started to immediately just be glaringly a problem to me. So what did I start doing? I started writing things down, right? Like, oh, we need to fix this or this broke and we did it this time. Let's put it down. And I became so obsessed with writing process and then which ultimately turns into angst because now people aren't following process, right? That I injected myself. It got to the point where within, I think a couple of weeks, honestly, I, I was walking into the owner's office. It was, I said his office, it was his bedroom because he was out of his garage, right? I walk in there and I go, dude, give me the team. Like the, I, I need to manage this. Um, and so, right, that kind of one step into the other. And, you know, I got exposed to a lot of things like uh, HTG back then. It was before the acquisition. Um, got adjusted into the community with ConnectWise, really becoming a player on the space. I think this is like 2010, 2011. I was just getting out of college as well at the same time. So a lot of personal things are going on. Um, and it really just turned into, and I remember back then even, we were getting to that like four, five-ish million, about 40-ish employees. Uh, where back then we were big fish, little pond. And that's really where I started getting exposed to coaching because I had these MSPs in my peer group that were also saying like, Hey, how'd you do that? Mm -hmm. How'd you do that? Yeah. And to me, it was easy. It was, Hey, here's this thing I wrote down, right? Here's this process. Here's this playbook. And of course that turned into, well, do you have more of these? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Gino Wickman had released traction about 2009, 2010, and it started gaining steam. And someone handed me that book mm. uh, where it was the first time I got exposed to business operating systems. And so I got just like everything else. Um, to me, it was a big book of processes. And for anyone that's done EOS, right, whether you like it or you don't like it, to me, it was bringing a maturity that then allowed me to work faster, stronger, harder, because as long as things are in this model, all you need to do is add fuel to the tank. Mm -hmm. um, so much so that I didn't even know business coaching was a thing. Like no joke. I started helping businesses like implement EOS, like MSPs without even an understanding that people charge a lot of money to do this. <laughs> just helping people, right? I'm just helping people. And not only that is right. I mean, I, I do have a technical background, right? So when there's a problem, I want to fix it, right? I am a fixer. I mean, my wife would, kill me and she wants to kill me all the time because I want to fix things, right? I'm always like, hey, what's the, what's the steps, right? We're, totally relate to that. Can we have a level 10 meeting with the family? <laughs> um, and, you know, it kind of snowballed from there because then every, you know, as I started getting certified in EOS and implementing it more, you know, I started to build my own pivots, build my own templates, especially to make the power of that model a lot stronger. Right. Because now I'm seeing things like accountability charts, nine different ways to do it for an MSP, processes, scorecards, the whole nine yards. Uh, so at that time, when I went to the next MSP, uh, it, it literally was just, I already had the playbook written. So luckily at that time, there was an owner that was willing to let me run with it. And, play, and also there was some key other players, obviously, on that team that had that same drive, that same tenacity. Um, and also, obviously, a healthy sales culture. So it wasn't just the one person. It was never just the one person. <laughs> I like to say that I'm typically the dumbest person in the room. Right. I understand that. But feeling. at least I'm willing to ask questions by being the dumbest in the room. Right. Exactly. And that was where I made really the big decision in my career that I wanted nothing to do with technical the rest of my career. Like I, that was the line that I drew in the sand saying, I don't want to learn another script. I don't want to learn another tool. I don't want to learn any of these things because then I just get in the weeds. Like it's a self-control problem. And, and I see this in so many of my clients where 
they see a tool and an endpoint and they think it's going to fix a behavioral problem. They think it's going to build an accountability problem. That's going to fix a process problem. And a lot of times a tool, you know, from a cost perspective needs to save people time. That's the ROI at the end of the day. That's the only reason you should buy something from an expense or a cog perspective because it's cheaper than the labor. And, you know, to me, right, I, I do so much financial analysis with the MSPs I work with where you just see these things greatly inflated but underutilized. And then they, and I saw this at SPG all the time, right? Oh, I bought ConnectWise and ConnectWise is the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and then I ask them, well, how much time do you spend learning how to use it? Right. Uh, the, the three hours when I took it out of the box. <laughs> yeah, the onboarding right? session. Well, and it's funny because like then, right, the questions always become, should I switch to this? Should I switch oh, yeah. to that? Just get a different tool. Just get a different tool. Fixes all your ale. You know, what all, whatever. Yeah. I think as tech people, I'll speak for myself, founder, you want to get a new, like, what, what am I missing? What could I be missing that's shiny and new? And if I just go do the new thing. Right. And I think there's probably some fear where you're going, maybe I'm missing out on something new. You know, maybe I need to go get the shiny new thing because, you know, technology changes all the time. So if you didn't love that, you wouldn't be in it. So it's, at least I'll speak personally, it's really hard to avoid the shiny objects, put down the new tools and stick with what you got. Right. Blame connect wise, blame your CRM, blame something and say, if I go get a different one, that's going to change something. Yeah. Like, no joke. Like, it, it's a. I think it's because when you really get your business to a certain level, operating it should be boring. <laughs> I don't think this is going to help people want to do this. No, but it, I, it, it doesn't. Yeah. But it shouldn't be firefighting either. Right? No, no, no. And, and the whole thing to it, and like a lot of the new clients during their onboarding and when I'm working with them, honestly, I. My main job is to take the lollipop and slap it out of their mouth half the time. Mm-hmm. One of my clients actually has me on their org chart as the chief reminder officer because <laughs> I'm the one that has to facilitate their meetings and say, guys, what is our goal? What is our goal? Right. What is our goal? Right. And it's that repetition, right? Like kind of the Vikings with the, with the beat on the drum while they're rowing, right? Like that drum beat is a pulse. That pulse needs to keep going and it needs to happen at the same time, at the same day, at the same place, at the same volume. That's consistency. That's service delivery. And I think we get away from that word service so often and we think we're a technology company when really we're service companies. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that identity shift, I think, is what for us as technologists becomes so difficult because to be a good CEO, I can't touch the toy. I can't even pick the toy, honestly, because I need to present the goal, the vision, and that's really it. Everyone else needs to be the do. There's a great book by Dan Sullivan. I listen to it every year called Who Not How. And really the message is that, you know, as you grow a company, as you, the the whole concept of us as a CEO or an entrepreneur is the most valuable thing is my time. That's the one thing you cannot buy. But what you can do is buy other people to do things to free up more of your time. And I do exercises all the time with CEOs where you're $500 an hour, Damien, as a CEO and a founder. So if you hop in a meeting to discuss a script or discuss a service delivery problem, you now just have added $500 to the cost of that meeting. Will you ever have an ROI? You won't. And if you start to really do this practice of what little things can I add time to my day, you now have exponentially added value to your company. Because though really as a CEO trying to grow organically, and I think this is where a lot struggle, you're essentially a marketing employee. Like, like, honestly, like, let's talk real, right? This podcast, right? You as a marketing employee are getting your name out there. It builds trust. It builds a relationship, right? You and I are sitting here right now because of that. And there's so much importance to this that, you know, I've had the instances where I've had to work with CEOs and tell them, like, I don't think you like being a CEO. You want to be the chief engineer. You want to be the chief engineer. But it's also your company. So why can't you? engineer your organization to where you can be the chief technology officer. That's right. You could, you can be that chief engineer. You can be the chief engineer CTO if you want, right? You can change roles. It may be ego thing to give up the CEO role, right? That's a whole different conversation, but you could. And the other thing is, um, at least I'll speak from personal experience. I've, I love to troubleshoot Mm -hmm. technical person. 
So now it's like this podcast to me is almost troubleshooting. My point is, <laughs> how do we figure it out? How do I get the best guests? How do I get the audience engaged? Um, and if I change my mindset to that, where I'm kind of like, this is a challenge, I need to level up and learn new things, just like I would in technology, then it's interesting to me because it's a new problem. Um, if I go uh, and put on my kind of traditional hat and go, ah, sales, like nobody wants to do sales and nobody likes salespeople or, per, you know, nobody wants to really, you know, most, at least I didn't want to do marketing. I thought that was just like designing a brochure back in the day or building a new website or, you know, like, I don't know, what am I going to put on social media? You know, like whenever I stare at that abyss, it's like, this seems like the last thing I want to do. But if you reframe your mindset to a different problem that you need to try to fix and address, at least that's what I found personally allows me to see myself in that role. And if I can't make that mindset, like you're saying, maybe I need to be the CTO. I, I think it's part of maturity and going and getting to know yourself, right? Some people are very good at being introspective and metacognitive. Some people are not. Ugh, sucks having to admit your own issues. Right? Oh, exactly. Right. And I'm going to be honest, like the one thing I didn't get into my story is how I got fired and how I've been displaced because of sometimes my own passions and my own ways of running teams can sometimes be the, we always have to grow, right? Like to me, I have learned in myself, I am not a farmer. The second it gets to status quo and it is that boring period of just add 20%, add 15%, I get bored. I'm with you on that. And when it gets boring, I tinker. Mm -hmm. And when I tinker, people get pissed and then I get pissed and then I start turning into an asshole, honestly. And it's knowing, but I love I love the turnaround. I love fixing things. I love fast scaling. Like when I have a client come to me and say, or a prospect saying, hey, I want a 3X, 4X, 5X in the next, you know, two years, three years, four years. I don't even ask them to be my client. I am like, I pick them as a client. I turn into the buyer, not the seller, right? And I, I've changed a lot of my perspective with sales. And I think this is an important topic as well to where I want to pick my clients because I truly want a relationship with them going back to service, right? And I always pose this question and I know this will be a tangent, but we, a lot of times we call them service managers, right? Mm -hmm. Service delivery, service manager. Yep. And who does it typically end up being? The best tech. The best engineer. And what has he never had training in? Anything with service. <laughs> Anything with service, right? And then most of us are introverts. So like we'd much rather, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I'd much rather usually write a PowerShell script than pick up the phone mm -hmm. and call somebody. But what fixes it faster? Right. Calling somebody. Picking right? up the phone. Talking to the customer, figuring out what their issue is, figure out why they care. You know how many owners I hear go, if they would just pick up the phone. Yeah. And then we don't do that as owners, right? Well, it's hard. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people think I'm an extrovert or, you know, because what I do, I'm actually an introvert at heart. Mm -hmm. Like, and the way I Me know too. that is I, after facilitating, doing a board meeting, working with clients, when I get to that hotel room and that door shuts, I am exhausted. Yeah. Like, that's, that's how you know you're an introvert. I power down mm -hmm. and I power down hard. Like I get on the plane, noise canceling headphones and I zone out. Mm -hmm. But there is a level to where you have to, again, knowing yourself, right? Where if I'm going to be in a role like an entrepreneur, a founder, a CEO, I have to be okay. I have to be comfortable with that. I have to be okay with the aspect of failure. The sound of my own voice, even in the headphones bugs me. All right. Right. Totally with you on that. And this is to the Just point. Just your voice, not mine there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, well, it, but it, it's a fun topic, right? And we laugh at it, but there is that part of you that definitely, it, it hurts internally. Right. That's right. And I know we're getting really far from the topic, but it, it's important on this topic of CEO and wanting to be the tinkerer because there is a vulnerability, there is an ego, there is a transparency that you have to have to put someone in that seat to be the CEO. Yeah, super, super challenging, right? Talk about vulnerability and trust, right? And most people, right, I feel like I don't want to admit that I couldn't do it. And then getting to where you trust to be chief engineer is, high, is a real high bar, let alone I want to turn over the title of CEO, say run, the, run my company, mm -hmm. right? Well, and that's why traditionally in big enterprise, right, you'll see CEO and president, or you'll see founder and CTO, 
right? Like there's a way where you can keep that pride because titles do have a sense of pride. I always hear people say, oh, I don't care about my title. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to lose it's an employee. You're not chief janitor. That's why. You don't well, care about yeah, your right. Like <laughs> me, I've been chief asshole. I've been that, that idiot, right? My title's changed. It's on a variable scale. Uh huh. But there is that level to where, right, if we go to like Patrick Lencioni, his, his pyramid of dysfunction, right, that base layer is trust. And then there's, right, there's the transparency, there's the, the commitment, because you also have to be committed to that CEO that you bring on board. And where I see so many people get it wrong, it is that commitment. Now that commitment and why I think over the years where I've seen it get go astray, honestly, is because I've worked with a lot of MSPs at this point and a lot of small businesses where they get it wrong is the owner never truly commits to the plan. And there's a lot of, I don't want to say immaturity because I think that's a rude way to put it. There's just, it's immaturity in the sense of you're not, really coming to terms with the idea or you don't know how to create vision for the company that actually satiates you, right? If I hire a CEO and I'm making $600,000 or if I'm a CTO and I hire a CEO, but I'm still bringing 600 grand to home year, you think I really care that I'm CEO or not? Right. No. Sounds like a good deal. Now, if I'm CTO and the CEO is losing a bunch of money and I'm making 50 grand a year, right? I'm going to ask questions. Now there's a thin line between accountability and commitment, mm-hmm. right? Accountability is find a new CEO. Mm-hmm. Lack of commitment would be then I'm just going to be CEO again. Mm-hmm. That's right. And this year I've been obsessed with this, this idea that I've been kind of, I don't know how to put it. So I'm going to kind of talk it through. There's two words I've been obsessed with this year. The first is having intention. And the reason I've been obsessed with this word intention this year is so often I have redone EOS implementations. I'm not an implementer anymore. I guess kind of say it. I've learned over the years that there's a little, there's a little more je ne sais quoi I like to give to my clients and make it their own. But a lot of them where they don't have intention is they'll come up with these visions and they'll put it on paper and then they put it in a drawer. And a lot of the times I've been using the metaphor, it's hard to read the label when you're in the jar because you just do not have the ability to kind of sit back and truly ask yourself, what do I need? And a lot of us are afraid to talk about money. Mm -hmm. Of course. Almost everybody. It's so, almost everybody, right? It's such a taboo topic. But what deep down makes us make other decisions that lack commitment? Right. Right. It's your business. At the end of the day, it's your checkbook. It's your life. It's your legacy. I love the metaphor that I would interrupt you for a second. You can't yeah. see the label when you're in the jar. Yeah, sorry, really I went right cool, over that. <laughs> that's a really cool metaphor, right? It took me a second to process. That's pretty cool. All right, I can picture that. Well, and, and the reason I started to use it, it, honestly, is more of a sales pitch in a way for myself. But what it was, was I had these clients saying, oh, we did EOS. And kind of picturing this, right? There's that level to where I'm the CEO. I'm trying to implement this thing called EOS. And I have the book in front of me and I'm going, okay, guys. So where we're going to start today is we're going to create vision. I'm more worried about being a facilitator, right? As, as a CEO, than I am sitting back and thinking, what do I need from, for myself, for my life, my kids, my family, my legacy. So where I started to tailor things a little bit was actually doing life planning in hand in hand with some type of operating system. Because what I found was that if I can get to the core, lock the owner and the founder in a room for three, four hours and say, how much money do you want? What do you want to be doing with your time? What do you want to be doing with your day? Right? How many days a week do you want to work? Right? Asking all those questions that are hyper-focused on us. Like you said, we're introverts, so we don't like the attention, but almost forcing it to an extent. Now I could figure out a baseline of what allows me to say, if I can hit this, I feel fulfilled. Then when we hop into the business operating system or we strategize and we build out the business plans, can I complement the business goals with the owner's own personal goals? 
so that if we do have to have a conversation about you're not the integrator or you're not the visionary or, um, you know, let's figure out what strengths get the company to that point, it's full commitment. Now I can do it with intention. There's a reason. And whether it's I want to sell my MSP or I want to grow organically or go through M&A and acquisition, right? That just becomes a tool now to get to my destination. Then the second word I've been obsessed with is discipline. Yes. And it's not accountability for a reason. For years, right, I always used to think accountability was, you know, people would come to me, Kyle, we suck at accountability. And I'd be like, okay, do you have KPIs? Yeah. Do you have job descriptions? Yeah. Okay. Do you have goals for the company? Budgets, forecasts? That was usually a big no. No one budgets and forecasts correctly. But that's a side topic. But really where I would go to home is like, okay, you have all the components to accountability. So either one, you're not accountable to yourself, right? Hire a coach. Or two, you just don't have the internal discipline to work a plan. Go figure. Engineers don't know how to work a plan or a process or write things down. Right. <laughs> Crazy right? concept. Right. Crazy concept. It, 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 it just blows my brain. But the MSPs that I found and I worked with that did grow really fast or did have, they had something special, right? Maybe they're not big, but they do something unique. I work with an MSP in Austin, Texas. They're not big by any stretch of the imagination, but they are a direct Microsoft 365 reseller, right? Usually that's reserved for like the Pax 8s of the world. This guy is this little MSP in Austin, Texas, and he found a way to be a direct reseller for 365. So rather than making his measly 15 points, he's making 30 to 40 points, right? There's that differentiator, right? So he can do things bigger, better, faster in 365 than another MSP. Those to me, those things say that there's a discipline, right? Because I had to be able to go through the steps to knock this out, and then I have to march to those orders consistently. And to me, I think that's where things become special and accountability can actually live because it's not really that accountability doesn't exist. Accountability just happens. It's like a metronome. And that is really that core component. And like I said, the chief reminder officer, I don't know if I said it on air, but I'm losing my train of thought at this point. But right, there's that level of commitment to is, are yourself or do you need a physical trainer? Do you need someone to go, hey, this is where your goal was. Don't, don't deviate because of your life. Well, speaking of kind of things we were talking about backstage, you mentioned you were talking about vulnerability. You were talking about um, things that are not easy. Uh, um, you were starting to tell a really horrible story <laughs> about your experience with backup and DR. Oh, it just costs money. Yeah. Just throw money at it. It fixes it, right? Just throw money at it. I, I, I have a weird relationship with backups, security, and overcomplicating solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hint, no, hint. no MSP's ever said that. Yeah, right? right. Hint, hint. I don't like doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to annoy a few people with that comment because uh -huh. I threw that little S word in there. <laughs> uh, but to me, right, at the end of the day, your customers don't really care about backup until they need it. Right. They I don't, don't care. want to care about it. No, I don't care if you talk about RTO, RPO, you do the whole math on the whiteboard. I used to do all that stuff, right? And what do they do? They look at you like, uh, this just sounds like it's expensive, right? We overly nerd out the customer. That's right. Sounds like the flux capacitor. Yeah. So what do we do? Well, rather than addressing it from a financial point of view, we approach it from an engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. So in one of my lessons, I let some engineers run wild. And next thing you know, I own a Nutanix stack with a Veeam cloud endpoint on it. And I'm managing basically a $100,000 piece of hardware trying to do BDRs myself. <laughs> How did that work out? Oh, basically what it came down to is I had one employee just dedicated to managing backups. And I'm in California for anyone that doesn't know. So, right, I can't hire a you know, a level one without spending $100,000 almost, fully burdened. Um, so I had one person dedicated. It then turned into kind of a weird discussion on margin and pricing because your margin becomes very fluid when you own the hardware that way, which I just didn't have time to really build out. You had to do all the proof of concepts, right? 
And I do this, by the way, the same exercise with RMMs now as well in migrating RMMs. When I did the math, what it came out to was something like 300 hours just to get the product to market. Was that an investment that was worth it? I still, to this day, obviously I'm not there anymore. I don't think they've made a dollar on it. <laughs> so probably not. Probably not. But you know what? It's a great toy. Yeah. Everyone loves All it. All the cool, right? Oh, if you've ever used it, tannics, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, hybrid flash you know, NVMe oh, stuff. Oh, and hyperconverge, and, and it's, yeah, it's all the buzzwords. All the buzzwords, right? It's hybrid cloud. Yeah. Um, That's and, all we need. Once we have one of those, life will be complete because <laughs> then we can do anything. Yeah. And it was like any other engineering problem though, right? You, you throw time at it and time is the big cost we have. Yeah. All we need is a hyperconverged 30 to 1 dedupe, you know, and we can do desktop as a service and private cloud and BCDR and oh, oh, I, fill yeah. in the gap. Right? I'm so glad I'm not there anymore right now because I'm sure something like SOC 2 came up or something other that, that you weren't worried about then. Scary thing that I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, right, it was, it was the not approaching it from a financial thing. Now, we never had an issue because, right, we're buying enterprise grade hardware. So the stuff did work. But if you think about, I had a tier three guy, I had a sales guy, I had myself, I had all this time wrapped up into building out a solution. And if you don't have an ROI from it, then that's a horrible business decision. <laughs> if you don't know the ROI, it's a yeah. bad business decision. Yeah. If you throw enough money at it, you can make it work. <laughs> right. But maybe not cost effectively is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Interesting point. Well, um, just on that segue, speaking of backup and DR, this show is brought to you by Servocity and Servocity Safe is where we manage backups. So with Servocity Safe, you can cut your support tickets in half and let us manage them for you. Servocity Safe includes daily testing of every single volume every single day. Plus, we store your backups in tamper-proof immutable storage. Most importantly, what really separates us from every other vendor is fully managed backups means you don't have to babysit backups at all leaving you and your tech's focus to grow and scale your, your business and focus on what differentiates you, which is probably not backup and DR. So if you're tired of dealing with failed backups and wasting your time worrying about the ability to restore, if you'd like to have a conversation just to see if this is a fit, sabrosity.com slash call, visit that and you can book a call with me one-on-one -on -one as a founder um, and be happy to chat with you about that. And they can call me as well and I will... Promptly say, call Damien. <laughs> can, can I ask a dumb question? Probably. Let's go for it. What the hell does immutable mean? Nobody knows, right? It's, it's, it's a good buzzword. Um, right. The, 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 you know, all joking aside, right. The, um, what's funny to me is there's so much going on in cybersecurity. Everybody's selling a new cybersecurity stack, which is good. There's, there's both good security reasons and good margin reasons to do so. But it just seems like no end. Yeah. Keep adding to the stack. The more tools, the better, right? Inflate our costs. Inflate our costs, exactly. Um, but if things get past the security stack, which we hope never happens, but the probability certainly exists, then the backup or DR is your last line of defense. The problem is the ransom guys have figured that out. They're doing everything possible to destroy backups. They now have automated search and destroy for backup systems. And that not only includes local copies, but cloud copies. And so immutable storage is storage that cannot be overwritten or deleted for a given time period. And good immutable storage has a third-party audit, not just somebody's word saying that. Ah. Um, and so it's uh, probably the best defense we have, I think, in my opinion, against um, ransomware or other cyber threats. If they can't delete it or they can't modify it, then their odds of getting paid are significantly lower. Now. I would also argue it, you're only as good as your weakest link. So if you don't have a good testing regimen or process or other things, then you're also going to get into trouble. So that's why we manage things and test them for you. Um, so yeah, it's a, some people are up on immutability, most are not. And please don't use that buzzword with your client. That was going to be my next question, honestly, is if I walked into a client's office and I said, your backup is not immutable, they would tell me to get the fuck out of there. Exactly, as they should. So yeah, it's just, it's the same thing. Like, are you going to go in there and tell them about your next gen AV and how great the SIM and the SOC is? I can point to probably 14 MSPs right now that probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> Throw some comments in if you're doing that, guys. Um, yeah. So th that's exactly what 
uh, I, I would urge you to not do, but it's just like a good part of a security stack. It's It should be part of multiple layers in your business continuity and disaster recovery um, plan. And the reason that we manage backups is I've yet to meet an MSP that will put in the process to do the testing or they can do it cost effectively and make any money. And so on that note, if you would like to uh, uh, drop a comment, if you're interested in it or email at the end, I'll, I'll give you a special way. We are now giving away our process. Oh, cool. So speaking of process, if you want to run the process. If you want to go spend a bunch I of money on this way. process and hire somebody to work it. If you'd like to have us do it, hire us. If you want to go spend the time to do it yourself, we will give you the process um, because I want to help every MSP that I can. And so if, and any tool can do it, guys. Any modern tooling, it's just like you talked about, like there's competitors to Nutanix or, or VMware or whatever you want to run. You could do it with the competitors. It's just a process. And do you want to do it? And should you do it? And is there any ROI in actually doing it? It's, as you were saying that, something came to my head, which was, I think as managed service providers, we have forgotten what managed services means, right? Like, think about it. Managed services provider. I provide services that are managed by me. Why do I need to be the IT services? And the whole idea, right, is the one-man band that can do a million different things because he has these all these fractional services. And it's cheaper than hiring. But somehow we like magnetized it because of pride of, no, nope, I'm going to hire somebody at twice the cost to do it myself and then wonder why we're not making any profitability. And if they're ever sick or out on vacation, then I hope you don't need it. Or they quit because, you know, MSPs are great at recruitment and funneling that, and right? And retention. And retention. Well, retention is, is an interesting topic, but you, to me it's it's, you know, I was talking to one of my good friends, Dave Kava, about it a lot, which is, you know, there's a misunderstanding just like sales that, you know, when you have your team, it's set in stone. Excuse me. And in that, I need to be always selling, right, to get new revenue in because someone's going to be leaving. But I also need to always be recruiting because someone's eventually going to leave. And there's a concept of that, right, which is if I can get a service, and then not have to always be recruiting for that seat or even have that seat on my org chart, right? That's saving time, right? We're getting back to this concept of time. I can be doing things that are more, uh, have a higher ROI if I spend that $500 an hour that Damien costs, he should be doing podcasts. There's a larger ROI to this. Not Damien going to check backups. But it's much easier to do the other. Or it's more introverted tech guy. Right, or or I like it. Yeah, I'm good at it. Yeah. I'm the best at it. I'm the best. You know, one's stronger. No one's smarter. The only good news for us is I've yet to meet a tech that really enjoys checking hundred backup emails a day. <laughs> you know, that's the good news. Nobody seems to love that. There's the, do I want to let go of it? That's a different question, but do I enjoy it or love it? Not usually. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Like I don't like doing it, but I'm not going to let it go. Right. Well, there is, you, you know, the stakes if you get it wrong. So I kind of understand the, uh, hesitance to let go, but it's just like putting in a CEO. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. It just means you have to arrive at that and you have to have enough, enough trust. You have to have accountability, mm-hmm. both sides. We have to be accountable to you. You have to be accountable to us mm-hmm. in, in the way that we manage backups for you or it won't work. Totally. So um, just like bringing in a great CEO. Now, I did have a couple of things I wanted to, to, to ask you. So give us the secrets. I mean, how did you go from four to two and a half million Ooh. Or from four to 15 million, rather, in about two, two and a half years. You so, us, like, everybody wants to know, how do I grow? So, what's, right? what, 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 how do you grow? How do you do it? Uh, honestly, this is a great full circle because it was intention. It was discipline. It was working the plan and add fuel to the tank. Um, and a lot of my clients, we call the first year of really building out the plan, the year of maturity. Because in that year of maturity, I need to spend that time building out my playbooks, building out my accountability, flushing out some of my processes, right? Because some of them might be good, some might be outdated. I I need to understand that a lot of employees might need new job descriptions, new KPIs. I might need to figure out how do I measure these KPIs or fix a tool to get an an output of a KPI. That's not going to happen overnight, right? How many of you guys have clean ConnectWises and CRMs that you can accurately tell you what your sales funnels and your, your EHRs look like? Your effective hourly rate, sorry. Shouldn't use acronyms. 
Not in technology. No, right? Yeah, that's a horrible habit, honestly. And in that year of maturity, really hammering down, okay, how are we going to get there, right? That's where you allow your team to figure out the hows. So a lot of times those year of maturities, those are smaller years, 40, 50%. Or not 40, like 20, 30%. At that end of that 20 or 30%, be solid in your forecast and budget. So let me, let me, let me hold, hold on. So you said those yeah. are smaller years. You mean the year of maturity, you're going to grow. Year of maturity or 20, that. 20, 30, 40%. Yeah. Not 100% year over year. Not 100% year over year. Because a lot of times what I have found with my clients Doing 3X, 4X in two years is, is not a speed that a lot of companies are ready for. Right? You have to have the right staffing. You have to have the stomach for it. And that's a big one. The stomach for it is probably the hardest part because I can tell you right now, every single customer that I've dealt with, every, all my clients, they've had attrition. They've had either customer attrition or employee attrition. And it's because the company that I want to be tomorrow is not the company that I am today. And it is possible that that employer client that of tomorrow or of today is not going to like the company that they work for. So I have to get into a place to where I am so intentional with this plan that if an employee says, hey, I don't really like this company anymore, I don't take it personal and I don't take it personal on them. Right? It becomes a professional discussion of that's okay. And we unfortunately don't have a seat for you worth where we're going. Let me help you find something in your career, right? You can make it amicable. You can make it professional. But going back into recruitment, right? I need to be in a level to where I am recruiting at a rate that I can bring people in fast. And a lot of people like to complain about recruitment. Oh, there's no good hires out there. And then I ask them, what effort did you put into recruiting people? As little as possible. Oh, I put the job on ZipRecruiter. Yeah. And... If you're like me in the beginning, I copied the job description <laughs> from another MSP because yeah. it sounded, I mean, we both need a services engineer. Yeah. I'm sure they're all the same. Our cultures and our companies must not be different, right? Oh, yeah. I'm like everybody else. I got this, I, I got this uh, best practice on Reddit and it said this is a job description for a tier two engineer. This is totally what my business needs, right? That, there's no intention there. This is going back to that word. But once you have that flushed out and I can build an actual intentional recruitment funnel, which is, by the way, the same effort of sales and marketing, because there is marketing and recruitment. And there also is a funnel for recruitment because, right, you got to screen them. You got to fill the funnel. You got to have someone looking. And when you get these, and right, these aren't hires. A lot of times people, I say these things, they go, Kyle, it must be easy because you can just hire all these people. No, these are people wearing two or three hats. But what we're getting to and what we're growing to is everybody wearing one hat. So when you put these pieces together and right, you go, okay, when we take off a hat, right? Like the, now we know everyone that needs to take one off, right? I put Damien's face in 20 squares and we know Damien has the most number of hats. So our objective throughout this year is to eliminate hats or boxes, how, however we want to put, make the metaphor. So as you go through this process, right, it always becomes who is going to do that? Who is going to do that? Who is going to do that? Not how are we going to do that? Because the how has already been created essentially, which is that, that growth level. Sounds, if you want growth. Sounds strangely related to that book you mentioned. It, it, it does, right? And I don't try to shy away from it too much because really it's, a, it's I'm going to be real, right? It's a ripoff of a lot of other ideas. Everyone does it. But the whole idea is that there is a level of accountability and framework that I need to build out that says what my company will be when it hits the goals as, my, as me as an owner. Oh, by the way, we also did a practice before that says me as an owner, what I want myself. So now we're in this harmony to where we're in tension, we're disciplined, we're working to it. And there is no hiding from accountability at that point. And when I mean not hiding from accountability, this goes into that attrition level too, right? That employee churn that maybe I did have that tier three guy sitting in service manager. And part of me being able to grow to that next level is have a forecast and budget to where I can have intention to where I need a gross margin of this percentage. Because this gross margin at this percentage gives me 12% sales and marketing budget rather than a standard 6% sales and marketing budget. Because sales and marketing needs to go up, right? The next thing I always hear is, right, oh, I don't have clients. I, don't, I need more deals. And what they do is they don't learn, they, they put the same amount of effort as in recruiting and they think that everything should be 100% close rate 
and they get one no and they stop selling or they hit a revenue ban they're comfortable with. And then one client walks out the door and everyone freaks out. Same, it's literally the same behavior. So when you build out that marketing and sales budget a little bit more, you're going to have employees that don't make it. You're going to have sales reps that don't make it. You're going to do it two or three times and your sales playbooks don't make it. But the goal still has to be MRR. Sell the managed service contracts. Stop trying to get your foot in the door with a lower price service. You're letting your customers dictate what you do. And when you let your customers dictate what you do and you don't have a process for it, you don't have margin. One thing I really liked about Paul Dipple is he always said, or one of his service leadership calculators, beautifully illustrated, you have to do something seven times to have an ROI. So I started to tell that to my, my sales team. You want to go sell a, a Fortinet. You got to be committed to sell seven of them. Yeah, that changed the conversation, didn't it? Changes the conversation quite a bit because they've only been asked once in the last three years for a Fortinet. Yep, that's right. And they, they just want to sell the one because it's easy, right? Oh, and this is ignoring the, the, oh, they also don't want managed services conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, right. of course you want to ignore that part. And this is where you as a CEO really have to be fiscally responsible with cash flow, right? I don't see a lot of MSPs have operational cash flow as a KPI and I, I kind of go, really? Why not? Um, because there's that level to where you have to recycle your profit. If you're going to grow fast, you need to be able to be comfortable, right? Vulnerable. I'm going to do 14, 15% sales and marketing budget. I need to see an ROI from that. And I need to know what that ROI is. And then I also need to be intentional with what my sales and marketing team are going after. Every time I see an MSP comment somewhere on, oh, we don't believe in quotas. We don't have quotas. Okay, then you're not going to grow. Yet you'll give a, a utilization KPI to a service manager, but not a quota to a sales rep. It's the same thing. One is measuring costs. One is measuring revenue. And whenever, uh, I don't even want to get into the utilization topic, but that honestly, it, it's a simple concept in nature to explain. And, I, and we could, I, I could literally do the show for the next nine hours on how to make it happen. But really it's have the plan, have the discipline to work it and just fucking go. I can't explain that any better than that. It's the, uh, the just do the work. If you want to grow fast, it's going to be tough. You're going to have to put hours in and your whole team is going to have to do it and be behind you with it. And by the way, they're going to make like 90% of the decisions. Yeah. That's the scary part as an owner. So yeah, drop questions. as You guys have them. We'll make sure to get to those comments. I know we're having some issues with some of those coming through. So we'll get to you guys on, those as we see them live or some of them as a follow-up. But I did want to ask you this, Kyle, what's the, what do we need to do? Like we call this part two of figuring out how to figure out alternate exit, right? Mm -hmm. I talked to a lot of MSPs and like the only thing I can do is get to a certain run rate and then sell to private equity. <laughs> and there's good private equity and there's really not good private equity. Uh -huh. um, and so we, we kind of understand that, but what, what are the options there and before you even get to that, what do you need to do to be ready? So I'm not a total fan of my exit has to be acquisition or private equity. And so I, I guess if the question is more geared towards how do we strategize for that opposed to yeah, how do you build a business? Is acquisition good enough? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a better question is how do I build a business that, that, there's light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. right? That I don't have to run five days a week forever. It depends on your goal, right? Going into the, the life planning, right? To me, there's a level of understanding of, does my goal get associated, like whether it's income or time through only acquisition because I want to have $100 million in the bank account? Then yeah, you, you're going to have to sell your business. Now, we don't really care who buys it at the end of the day. Right? Someone just has to buy it. So I don't want to put a VC or PE in there because it complicates things. But you got to think in terms of due diligence, right? I, whenever, in any instance I've been in, whether it's due diligence as a buyer or seller, for me, it's always what are they going to see when they see the financials and what are they going to assume from those financials? I, right, I, I just mentioned operational cash flow. I can guarantee you right now, a PE or VC that has a lot smarter financial people on their team, they're going to look at that cash flow and they're going to look at weird spikes in your finances, right? You'll hear some people say no hockey sticks and really understanding like, so building that plan for massive growth, right? If I am trying to get to that 8X, 9X multiplier, which 
kind of market right right now, right? I need to have a very strong net. Back up one second, just to be clear, for folks that are into eight or non x times what? Oh, I I don't like the term EBITDA because it's technically that's fake. better than anything. But, but net I get people income, that don't know problem. anything and they. And they, they think it's revenue, revenue. Yes. And it's not. No, if you're SaaS, yeah, we're talking revenue here. But if you are services, you're going to get an eight to nine X multiple on the high end with the market kind of changing right now. Right. I'm seeing a lot of sixes and sevens right now as well. Uh, by the way, there are half multipliers for people who don't know that. You can't get six and a half. Um, so thank you for correcting me. I kind of run right into that. But really, when you are looking for those multipliers on your profit, let's call it profit. What you have to understand is they're going to value off of your trend. And they're going to usually want 24 to 36 months of your PL month over month. So when they see at six months ago, whoop, profit went straight up because you laid off three or four people, they're, they're going to ask questions. So what I want to do, right, going into my goals and my roadmap of how I build my MSP for exit, I want to make sure that I am eliminating every assumption I can from a fiscal maturity perspective. I want to make sure that everything is very gradual in whether the profit growth, the revenue growth, the cost controls, the sales and marketing budgets, right? This is where I was going to, before you rudely cut me off, on the, the forecasting and budgeting being so important is you need that forecast and budget for the year so that you can maintain those real gradual growths. And that is then where you get to that point to where if you do go into due diligence and you are 20% net profit or EBITDA, as some people like to put it, right? Then they're going to see a gradual growth and they're going to go, oh, you were just maturing. You were getting better. You've built a system of leaders in an organization that know how to drive efficiencies. Whenever they see hockey sticks, they're going to go, you, right? They're going to think the worst. You cut costs somewhere, you fired some people, you, you raised rates real fast on your clients. So you might have high churn coming down the pipeline because it, it, anyone that's doing an acquisition, they want a return. They want a 2X return, a 3X return. They just want to make money on their dollar. And in my experience, they're going to price any risk yes. in a way that you're not going to like. Yes. And not only that is they're going to use that against you in an earnout strategy. So they may say, yeah, we'll give you 7X, but it's going to be over five years. You're only going to get half up front and then you need to stay on as a CEO for the next five years. You know how painful that's going to be to be an employee of someone else that owns your company? You're going to hate your life, right? You want to give yourself that level to where you're getting like 90% up front and that 10%, you could take it or leave it, right? Yeah, I'll stay on for a year or two and I'll tuck some corners and I'll shake some hands and kiss some babies. But I don't want my entire legacy and financial output of my time that I invested into this company just lost because I didn't have intention and discipline to get it to my own personal goal. Well, speaking of that, this has been awesome, Kyle. This, this is amazing. I know we've had some issues with comments, guys, so please drop your comments. We'll make sure to, to chase Kyle down and yeah. see if he'd be kind enough to answer this in the future. Of course. That would be awesome, Kyle. Um, so, any takeaways on this, scaling your company, getting ready for exit? What are the, what are the books? What are the tools? Tools are in it. Processes, whatever it is. What, what are the takeaways you have? Um, books. Uh, I mentioned Who Not How. It's a great one for leadership and really understanding delegation. Um, Pinnacle. Uh, it's a new hybrid output where it's kind of mixed up a lot of the ideas from other business operating systems. Um, it's actually, I'm a certified Pinnacle business coach because I found that it had a lot more tenured uh, tools as we call them in the business coaching world. Um, there's, I mean, if you go to my website, k7leadership.com, there's a books button. I have like 15, 16 books with the Amazon links of what I, of course, all of my clients to read. Um, and a lot of them are really going to be about strategy, right? None of them are going to be about how to write a PowerShell script. Right. <laughs> Not technology. <laughs> Not technology. Okay. Awesome. So how do we get, I want to um, thank you for this show. This no has been amazing. If anybody wants to get connected to you, just to follow you, see what you're going on, have a conversation with you, whatever is appropriate, how do they get connected to you? Yeah, um, social media, uh, I'm on LinkedIn pretty prolifically, uh, slash Kyle CHX, I think is what it is. Uh, K7leadership.com is my URL and has a scheduling link. Uh, I am only taking one or two clients actually for a quarter or two, just because there's a lot of side projects and current clients I'm working with. Uh, so they go pretty fast. So if you are interested in growing fast, please make sure to schedule some time. Uh, especially with quarter two being like a week ago at this point. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you guys heard it here. If you want to get plugged into Kyle, um, make sure to go to k7leadership.com or find him on LinkedIn. Um, drop your comments. We'll be happy to do that. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, guys, every two weeks we have this show, so please stay tuned for the next show. Before you guys go, uh, if you want a copy of the show notes, anything that was mentioned, books, resources, processes, et cetera, drop an email to show at damianstevens.live. That'll ensure you get notified about all the new shows and all the resources that we covered here. Um, this is just the beginning of a community we're building with amazing people that are willing to have con- candid conversations on how to build your MSP. Uh, if you would like to see if you're a fit to having us manage your backups and take that burden off of you and make it more profitable, visit surprisingly.com slash call and you can have a one-on-one call with me. Guys, follow me on LinkedIn, drop an email here if you'd like the show notes or um, just drop a comment if you'd like to know more. Thank you much, so much for your time, guys, and we'll see you here in two weeks.